out of the elementary school. Fourth grade to be exact. Yes, my kids, that was a long time ago. And it probably was a long time ago. I would have been, what, nine, I guess? So 30 some odd years ago. I remember being in the hall, and we had some strict teachers, uh, some very strict teachers. You know, kids today had it pretty easy, I'll admit. Uh, we had one teacher who, her name was Miss Foster. She was a, she wasn't a small lady, and she had three yardsticks that she had taped together. That was the enforcer. Um, and she was across the hall from our class and we stood out in the hall one day and we were in the hall and there were these two girls who were who were talking they didn't speak English and I kept trying to get their attention and tell them to be quiet but I didn't speak the language they were speaking so here I am looking across at Miss Foster's door thinking we're going to get in trouble. And I said some things I probably shouldn't have said, and they understood more English than I thought. Um, the funny thing is, the person who understood it, my mama volunteered a lot in the school. My mama walked up as I said some things I shouldn't say. I was sent to the office one time in my life, and my mama sent me there. Um, and, and it all happened because I couldn't understand what was being said. I couldn't understand what was going on, and I couldn't get them to understand what it was I needed them to understand. That there was a lady in that classroom who was going to come get us if we didn't be quiet. And all of that happened. And, and, and as I realized as I, as I grew up, you know, we, we have a tendency to believe here in our country that English, everybody knows English. That's just not true. 10% of the world speaks English. 10%. That's not very many people. When you think about it. That means if this room was the world, these first two pews speak English and the rest of you speak something else. We're the minority. There, there's that minority to that. There are 500 million people in the world. There are 2,000 different languages. The Bible tells us there used to be one. And that's where we're at this morning in that text where our languages became divided there over in Genesis chapter 11. You know, the flood has happened here in Genesis 8 9. The flood has occurred. The world has been destroyed. Noah's sons have begun to repopulate the earth. And we find them, these descendants, in Genesis chapter 11 starting on a very ambitious task. And there, in Genesis chapter 11, starting in verse 1, it says, At one time, the whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let us make oven-fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves, otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. 
Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So from there the Lord scattered from over the face of the whole earth and they stopped building the city. Therefore its name is called Babylon, for there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as the vessel that the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask all these things in your son Jesus and for his sake. And all God's people said, Babel. Uh, the Hebrew word there literally means confusion. Great confusion. And there we find one big sin. The biggest sin of all in Babel is pride. That's their sin. Their sin is pride. Their sin is doing what they can do in order to make sure that they are known. Doing what they can do to make sure that they are taken care of. Doing what they can do to make sure that they get their way. That is, that is really what is going on here in this story about the Tower of Babel. But as we read this text, as we examine what happens, we begin to see some things that pride does in our lives if we, if we let pride happen like it happened there. And the first thing is that pride changes or interferes your relationship to God. Pride interferes with it. Whenever we sit there and we find ourselves in this, do we not get my stuff loaded? No? Okay. It's in box. But anyway, okay. I have a great slideshow. It's not loaded. Okay. Um, pride interferes with your relationship to God. Here we're talking about what they would call a ziggurat. These are special temples back in the day that were built to sacrifice to idols. And it would, by doing that, they were putting other things in God's place. When you begin to bring other things that you put in front of God, suddenly your relationship with God is damaged. Suddenly you find yourself in a spot that you don't want to be in because you're like, well, God... I believe in you and I'm going to follow you, but I'm going to, I'm going to believe in this and hold on to this too. You can't have it both ways. One of the things that this, this tower could have been for them was maybe a permanent Noah's Ark. Remember? The flood happened two chapters, three chapters earlier, and the whole world was destroyed. And I don't know if I can trust that God when he says he's not going to do it again. But if I build a tower tall enough, it doesn't matter how tall the waters go. I'll be safe. They began to trust in themselves there. They began to trust in, in other things. They began to trust in the stability. They began to rely on their own work rather than God's protection. When we find ourselves relying on what we can do rather than what God does, it's a dangerous place to be in. And it's so easy to do. It's so easy to look at the savings that we have and say, I can rely on this money because I know where this money's at. But if we've learned anything in the history of the world, money can go away. How many people lost their lives in the Great Depression? Because everything they had went away in a moment. I made a joke here uh, a few weeks ago to somebody that uh, I'm saving for retirement. Every time I have a check, I send voluntary money to my 403CB account. But when you log into it, it says your rate of return is negative 14%. I'm paying money to have
trust in the things of this world. I can't trust in the work of my hands. I can't trust in the things that I do. When I begin to do that, I begin to make the things that I do and the things that I have God. I need to trust in God's protection. I need to trust in what God does. Pride gets in the way and interferes with that. We become gods because we put ourselves in the place of God. I can do this. I can handle this situation. I can power through this moment. I can stand on my own two feet. I've said it before, and I know it offends some people, but sometimes I think being an American makes it very hard to be a Christian because I was raised to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I was raised to do all these things, but sometimes the Bible tells me to do the exact opposite, to stop and wait and rely upon God because I can't do it on my own. I can't do it by myself. So pride changes or interferes with your relationship with God. But pride also changes how we react to ourselves and to others. They did this and said, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's make us important. Let's make people talk about us. We are very important. They'll look and they'll say, look at those people there. They built a tower that reaches the heavens. Nothing can touch them. Even what did God say when he looked down? If they do this, having one language, nothing's going to stop them. They'll keep doing things. They'll keep making advances. They'll get to the point where they are so self-important that they don't think they need me anymore. And we get to the point where we worship ourselves. How long does it take before we becomes I? Sometimes the hard part of being a team is that some people are more gifted than others. And how do you make the person who isn't as gifted feel as important as the person who's really gifted? Because it's very easy sometimes for we to become I. For we to become me. For me to start worrying about who I am. How long does it take for a work as a team to become a star and his helpers. One of Shallow's favorite TV shows, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, is Teton Titans Go. It's a goofy show. Um, with sophomoric humor. I mean, it's just... Anyway. But the whole premise of the show, really, is you have Robin. We know Robin, right? Batman and Robin. And Batman and Robin, Robin is clearly not the leader. Robin is the sidekick. But in Teen Titans Go, we have Robin who is trying to perpetually prove himself as the leader of this group. Because he's the leader. And he has the leadership qualities. And he can do this. And sometimes he loses sight of the rest of the group. Because it's about him. That's what happens sometimes when we begin to react with others around us because we've become important. Because we've become important. We are who we are. And that's a dangerous place to be. Because we've all probably encountered people who look down on you because of something that they've attained. We find ourselves worshiping 
who we are rather than who he is. And we begin to see each other not as family, not as resources, not as people to walk with us in tough times, but we begin to see each other sometimes almost as competition. Well, I, I don't do the things that she does. I don't sin that way. But where does that put us? Our pride sometimes makes us look at people as lower than us, but yet we're on the same level, no matter, no matter what our sin is. No, no, matter, no matter what steps we've taken or, or how far we have fallen, we're in the same spot. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's the murderer or the liar, it's all sin. And sin puts us in the same spot. And it takes the same thing to get back in right relationship with God. And that's so, it blows my mind. It's so uncomfortable. And it's hard to understand sometimes, right? The fact that I'm not telling a little white lie. And the other person might have killed 14 people. But he just has to ask forgiveness. And I just have to ask forgiveness. And there's nothing more that has to be done to get forgiveness from Jesus. That's what tells us that sin is sin. It doesn't matter who, where you are. It doesn't matter. I have, I have no right to look at someone else and say their sin is worse than mine because their sin doesn't put them in any worse position than my sin does. But pride in, in the things that we do, pride in, in our ability to live out what the Bible says sometimes results in us looking at other people and, and changing that relationship. But pride also usually result in the destruction of what we do have. Here it's very literal. God looks down and he says, if they accomplish this, there's no stopping. So he confuses their language. This is one of those scenes in the Bible that I wish I could just go back and just stand there and watch. Can you imagine? I mean, you know, they're just talking along and all of a sudden they're just in some other language and they're like, what? And they scatter because they can't understand anymore. In a very real way, they lost what they did have. But the same thing happens to us when we're prideful. Sometimes we are so prideful we don't ask for help. <laughs> did you know there are some things you can't do by yourself? Did you know there are some times that you can read the instructions over and over and over and over again and for some reason it doesn't click for you, but for somebody else it might. But when we don't ask for help, we sometimes end up with extra bolts and screws and we don't know where they go. And later on that thing comes crashing down because it's not as sturdy as it needs to be because you didn't ask for help. Or maybe it's just you have a month where it's so tight and you don't know how the ends are going to meet and you're afraid to ask. But if you had help just that one time, everything else is okay. But because you didn't ask for help, it began to snowball and it got away from you and you find yourself in trouble. Or sometimes we're prideful and we find new ideas. Oh, Troy, you started meddling. Oh, my goodness. 
we find new ideas. We can't do that. We can't do something new. Because if we do something new, things might fall apart. And that happens on a family level, happens on a church level, happens on a school level. It happens everywhere. I mean, I don't know how many times I'll come to Carrie and I'll have some idea that she thinks is harebrained. No! We can't do that! Why? Because we've never done it that way before! Well, get over it! You're such a Baptist! Let's get past that! You can't, we, we, we have to be willing to do the things that God has us to do. Even if it's new. Even if it's uncomfortable. Even if it puts us somewhere that we don't want to be. Because when we do those things, often we lose what we have. We lose what God has given us. Because we're afraid. Do you remember the parable of the talents? And the manager's going away, and he gives five to this guy, and four to this guy, and three, and one to this guy. And the guy with one was so afraid to try anything different, he went and dug it and buried it in a hole. And what happened at the end of that parable? The manager took it back and gave it to someone else and told him to depart from me because he took what he did have because he was afraid in his pride to not try. He just wanted him to try. Just get out there and do it. You could have put it in a savings account and got me something unless it's today's economy and then you would have lost 14%. Something. <laughs> and when we fail to take risks, when we fail to do the things that God has called us to do, when we fail to step out there, we may lose stuff. Because pride can cause us to destroy even what we do have. But here we're in the front of the Bible. Genesis 11. But when I turn to the back, God accomplishes for us what pride can't accomplish. It's amazing. Pentecost is the reverse of Genesis chapter 11. Language was restored. Jesus, we're told over in the book of Revelation, made a name for us and were given a new name, which is what they were trying to accomplish over in Genesis chapter 11. And through Jesus, we can reach heaven, which is what they were trying to do over in Genesis chapter 11. God can do for us what we can't do for ourselves in our pride. All of those things we're trying to accomplish that we think we have to muscle through, all of those things that we think we have to pull our bootstraps up and keep going, all of those things that we think it's up to us to do, God can do for us. We don't have to do it. We don't have to make it work because God will make it work. That's who God is. That's the things that He does. God takes care of those things for us. He makes a way where there is no way. We don't have to keep on trying and think, oh my goodness, I'm never going to get there. We don't have to keep thinking, man, I don't know how hard this road is. I can't take it any harder because Jesus opens the way. He opens the door. He makes a way for us. And the things that we can't accomplish, Jesus accomplishes. We just have to trust in Him and wait in Him. That's what we're called to do. When we struggle against Him because of our pride, that's when we find ourselves in trouble. 
Well, Jesus, I really want to do what you want me to do, but it's just too hard. <laughs> but my friends say, but my Sunday school class tells me, but Brother Troy said, God is talking to you. And he's telling you away. Why would you argue that? <laughs> We're working on an issue in our house right now. Uh, I will say, go and do this. And sometimes I hear, but. It doesn't matter what your butt is. Doesn't matter what you still need to do. Doesn't matter how much game you had left or anything else. I said to do it, do it. That's what God's saying sometimes. <laughs> God says, I want you to step out and do this, but God, no, there's no but. Do it. Step out and do it. I want you to knock on your neighbor's door, but God, they, I, I didn't say but. I said do it. I want you to devote every morning to me to read four chapters, five chapters, twelve chapters of the Bible every day. But God, no, I didn't say that. I said do it. That's where I think God is right now with us. Because we, we've become this, this place where we go, but God, and there's no but. God said do it. We just do it. We just do it. Because when we follow God's way, guess what? Things work. Things work. Because God's already planned it out. God knows which way is the right way. And he knows how this is going to work out. And he knows which turn we need to take, which one we don't. Google doesn't know that. I found that out this last week. Google sometimes gives you wrong directions. God never does. There are some answers that Google does not have. But Jesus does. Maybe this morning you've been struggling with stuff because it's, man, I want a whole lot of this, Brother Troy, because I want, I want things my way. Well, it's time to let that go. It's not about your way or my way or her way or anybody else. It's about God's way. When we follow God's way, things work. Doors open. Living waters flow. Maybe this morning... You've just been struggling. You've been struggling with your own pride. You've been struggling with giving things up. You've been struggling with all of these things, thinking you can hold on to it yourself. Now's the time to say, God, I can't hold on to it. And I'm not going to try anymore. I'm going to give it to you. The hardest thing in the world is to give it to him. It really is. Because we want to hold on to it. Because as long as I'm holding on to it, I have some control. I like to have control. Maybe this morning you want to pray. The altar is open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to serve the missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning you have some other need that, that I haven't even brought up. Now's the time to bring it. Now's the time to give it to God. You don't have to come up here. You can, you can give it to Him right where you are. Now's the time to let him transform your life. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to him. Should break it.
Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you. We praise you for your blessings. 